You are listening to the Alouette's Flight Deck, a proud member of the Canadian Football Podcast Network. All right, folks, we've been clear for takeoff. Welcome to Alouette's Flight Deck. Podcast dedicated to Montreal Alouettes football. I'm Tim Capper. You can find me on Twitter at Repact. That's R-E-P-P-A-C-T. And I'm Cliffy D. But you can also find me on Twitter, but at Cliffy D. And this episode of the Alouettes Flight Deck podcast is presented by our good friends over at SportBuff, where right now you can save 10% off your entire order by using the promo code FLIGHTDECK-10. Head on over to www.sportbuffshop.com for all of your sports merchandising needs. And you can also find us on many places on the internet. Uh, if you head over to uh, uh, www.alowitzflightdeck.ca, you can find your entire archive of shows going back the full seven years. You can also find us on Twitter. That's at Deck. You can find us on Instagram. That Look for uh, Alouette's Flight Deck. Facebook is Alouette's Flight Deck Pod. Uh, and YouTube is youtube.com slash Alouette's Flight Deck, where we are looking to add some more things very, very, uh, in a very, very short period of time. So stay tuned for that. Uh, again, uh, we will be giving away the satin jacket as promised uh, within the next few weeks, but it will be before the end of this year's broadcast season. And uh, lastly, if you want to buy some merch uh, to rep the pod, whether it be at home, at the game, Buying groceries at the store, sitting on the pot. Hey, it could be you can, wherever you want to wear it. We'll be happy that you have it. Hey, even in the shower or the pool. Head over to tastespring.com slash stores slash Al's Flight Deck and rock your merch just like Cliff, myself, and our significant others. Um, I, game. It will be a game day, obviously, but we want to at least mention there's going to be a slight modification, right, Cliff, for how we are going to be doing the giveaway for the Thanksgiving Day Monday tickets for the uh, flight crew seats, aren't we? Absolutely. I guess because it's uh, Turkey Day, Thanksgiving, as, as it's well known, uh, we decided to switch things up a little bit. And uh, we want to make sure that these flight crew seats go to a very deserving person. And who better than our great Twitter followers? So if you're if you're not on Twitter, I mean, I mean, get on that for crying out loud. It's 2022. I mean, <laughs> come on. Anyways, get on Twitter. Uh, make sure you uh, send us a message uh, using the hashtag Flight Crew Seats, and you will be entered in the draw to win two, count them, two seats to the October 10th game versus the Ottawa Red Blacks. That's Thanksgiving Monday, folks. So get your turkey, get your stuff in, and you get some football. Doesn't get much better than that, does it? it no, it does not. And uh, we will be making the draw, uh, we'll be making the winner known. Uh, on next week's show, we will be doing the draw prior to the uh, to the broadcast of the uh, of the pod itself. Um, but again, uh, we'll put out put out a tweet on social media. Uh, you can reply to it. Uh, you can just send us a, a message on on Twitter to our uh, uh, to our flight deck account. But again, that is the hashtag is flight crew seats. And uh, good luck, everybody. We want to see you on Turkey Day. There you go. 
I wish that was kind of a segue, you know, Thanksgiving, Turkey Day. Um, I guess we could, could, could the, did the Alouettes and the Tiger Cats kind of had too much to eat, you think, that first half? Because that was probably one of the roughest first halves of football I've seen in quite a while. Oh, you know, it's, it's funny you mentioned that because I actually did kind of make a joke at halftime on, you know, I, I tweeted it out. Like, you know, this like NyQuil chicken that seems to be making the rounds on uh, like TikTok and uh, Instagram. Like people apparently are, this is apparently a thing people are trying to cook with like their chicken in NyQuil. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I don't get it either. I, but, uh, yeah. Now you're going to make me go look on TikTok. Uh, <laughs> uh, maybe don't. Maybe don't. Uh, okay. Just trust me. It, apparently it's a thing. And hopefully nobody with half a brain, or, you know, as long as you, oh, God. <laughs> yeah. People, I don't know what's wrong with you, but don't. Don't cook chicken in NyQuil. But I, I couldn't help but wonder if uh, maybe that was the pregame meal for the Alouettes because they were lethargic. They were sleepy. They must have been on cold medication because – how else would you explain such a lackluster half of football? And Tor- or the, the Hamilton was just not that much better, to tell you the truth. I mean, yes, I found the end zone, but I mean, this this was just a meh kind of half of football. Yeah, I mean, the Alouettes have had this kind of kind of half already this year, where they only did score three points. It was earlier in the season, but still. It, it it was just I don't I don't know what it was I mean we've had you know the third quarter last uh, last week with the game uh, you know uh, you know uh, I, I I just really don't know what was the actual cause of it I mean was it the weather because dude I will admit it was for a you know for the first game in in uh, you know in fall in Montreal. It was cold. It, I've talked to a few other people too, by the way. It was just like downright cold. We we needed another layer. I needed a toque. I needed I needed I needed hand warmers. I needed something else because it was just damn cold. But maybe that affected the Alouettes too. Who the hell knows? Could very well be. Although technically, though, like usually people will get up and get moving and you know just exercise or do whatever it takes to get the blood flowing and mm-hmm. then you figure okay guys on the field would be able to do that because they're they're running around they're they're stretching they're doing everything they can to stay loose so you you can't help but wonder like would the cold have affected them that to that extent i mean yeah sitting in the stands is one thing like we're just sitting there and yeah like the the wind cutting through you at personal molson stadium was just ugh, like a knife practically and I even like wore like a couple of layers, like thin layers, mind you. So maybe that was probably it. And in hindsight, I should have wore my beautiful, my own version of the beautiful satin retro jacket that we'll be giving away to some lucky YouTube subscriber. Mm-hmm. In hindsight, probably should have packed that instead of uh, you know the usual flight deck uh, merch. But yeah, you know, oh, it I is get, what it is. I guess that's next on the. Uh, I guess that's next on the uh, on on the to buy list for uh, for Tim and Cliff. <laughs> We need ourselves yes. a, uh, a warmer fall-ish jacket, I guess. I, I think we could look into getting like our own bomber jackets or uh, like fleece line jackets or something like that. Something, something. that would help combat the wind. Yeah. Because that's really what it was. And it's funny, though, because it didn't like the, the wind was affecting much on the field. No. Because let's not forget, uh, like the, the field goal kickers, for the most part, didn't have to contend with the wind, even at the point where when the Hamilton deferred to the second half, or sorry, uh, Montreal, uh, or you know, Montreal won the toss, yeah, elected to receive, but then Hamilton chose to defend the other side, yeah. Like you're you're taking you're going against the wind in the fourth quarter, like that's that's ballsy. 
But, okay. Yeah, but yet, yeah, yeah, it's true. I mean, the temperature at kickoff was 11 degrees. Uh, winds were at 22 from the northwest. But it really didn't feel – it felt like we were feeling it more in the stands than, they, than we saw it on the field because, as you said, and uh, you, you mentioned something to me specifically about the field goal kickers when the Owls tried their 51-yard field goal. We, we, thought we, you know, we thought it was nuts, but we were getting the win in the stands, but yet the flags on the, on the goalposts were just – seemed almost limp. Yeah, like barely a flutter. And because uh, I I, at first I thought like, okay, like, yeah, Co- David Cote has got a pretty good leg and he can he can kick a ball with authority. But I'm like, are you going to kick a 51-yarder into the wind? Are you nuts? Mm-hmm. But lo and behold, I guess there really wasn't that much wind, if any at all, because, yeah, he made it no problem, like nothing but net. Yeah, <laughs> so exactly. Okay, so maybe it's like I guess the wind, for whatever reason, just seems to only affect the – like people's people in the stands. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, just over seventeen thousand saw the Alouettes beat the Hamilton Tiger Cats twenty three sixteen. Cliff, uh, the win put uh, put the Alouettes two and a half games up on the on the Tiger Cats four points in the standings, but the Alouettes have a game in hand, um, and ha- Hamilton is off this week, so we could. Essentially, be if we beat uh, Edmonton, we will be up six full points in the standings. But and, and incredibly, still can't clinch the playoff spot. Yeah, yeah, I saw that. I've already seen it was in this week's um, notes that the Alouettes cannot clinch a playoff spot. It's bizarre, but uh, yeah. Well, okay. I guess I mean Toronto. Toronto's already punched their ticket, so... Well, I, I think if I remember correctly, and I checked too, is that even with a loss, um, Ottawa's not eliminated either because technically right now there is a scenario where all three teams could end up at 8 and 10. There is, yeah. It, it, that, like mathematically, that, that they are still why. alive. That would be why. Right. So, um, but yeah, uh, Alouette's outscored the Tiger Cats in the second half 20 to 6. Um, he, they did dominate the second half. Something woke them up. Maybe they gave them those uh, those hand warmers or whatever whatever the heck they call them. Um, some, Maybe IVs full of hot chocolate. Something, something, <laughs> something. But you know, again, it wasn't a pretty game. Um, but it got they rarely it, are. But it got people going in the second half. Not only them, but the crowd. And and I will admit, dude. The crowd really got into it, you know, considering how cold of a night it was and, you know, I said just over 17K, that crowd was loud in the second half. It really wasn't. I think it played a huge difference and it, uh, for the Alouettes against the uh, uh, the Tiger Cats when they were in offense. Yeah, I was very happy to see that as well. Uh, like, like, I always say that our the section that we sit in, Y1, like, we're surrounded, we're very fortunate to be surrounded by some very good football fans. Like, people are really knowledgeable about football and really are passionate about the team. So that definitely adds to the experience. It makes it a, a lot more fun. But I'm finding more and more that the fans are really getting more into it. And I think realizing, like, okay, this this is a football team that, Need support, and let's give it to them because it will pay off. And sure enough, they woke up, and uh, when the Alouettes would do great things, when they would finally manage to find the end zone, they got up, they got excited, and people were getting into it, which was fantastic. And I've said it numerous times, folks, Personal Wilson Stadium is technically the smallest stadium in the Canadian Football League. But you give these fans, however many they are, if you give them something to cheer for, 
they'll cheer. They'll be loud. And not just with air horns, by the way, like with actual noise, like actual real fan man-made noise. Mm-hmm, they will mm-hmm. they will get loud. And sure enough, they did. Like especially once Montreal finally took the lead and kept it and added to it. Like, yeah, when it came down to the fact that it was Hamilton had to do something with their what essentially was their last series. All of a sudden, like I, I joked, like okay, now the Thunderdome comes on, and yeah. sure enough, everybody gets loud. The music gets loud, like the that loud techno-y kind of music. Yeah, they, they start playing they, that. Yeah, they've changed some stuff this, this, in the past couple of weeks. I will admit. Yep, but it, hey, it works. And, sure, and not, the fans it, are responding in kind. That's, exactly. That's what I love is this. the fans are getting into it. They realize, okay, <laughs> the Alouettes are on defense. Make noise. Yes, you have to be reminded constantly. Fetz debris, make some noise, but. They're making the noise. And I think there was even at one point uh, during the fourth quarter, there was a time count violation by Hamilton. Mm-hmm. So it works, folks. Believe it or not, it does work. Yep, it does. Um, you know, we, we've gone back and forth with the talking about Trevor Harrison is and a good Trevor, bad Trevor type of thing. Uh, I mean, he was 26 of 35. I mean, it's a, that's at a 74% clip, uh, you know, completion rate. 244 yards, no interceptions, key, uh, and two touchdowns. Um, thoughts on, on Trevor Harris as an example, Dane Evans, who had a monster game last week at a career day, uh, Dane was uh 22 at 29 at a 76% clip 288, but no interceptions, no touchdowns. Thoughts, thoughts on Trevor Harris. I mean, listen, this is the Trevor Harris that we've come to expect. I mean, he put up some nice numbers. He pads his stats. That's what he does. That's just, that's what he does. But he did also score touchdowns, which is crucial. And no, no picks. Uh, technically, no f- no fumbles either, uh, although there was that one awful snap that he had to recover quickly. But, uh, yeah, I, I mean, he he was a game manager. That's what he did. He he managed the game last week and did an OK job. Like, I, I'll, I'll give credit where credit's due. I mean, he he got the win. He did get uh, Eugene Lewis for a couple of touchdowns. I mean, that's. That's what we expect. We expect our quarterback to find the end zone. I mean, that's not such a terrible concept, is it? No, I mean, no, no, not at all. We, I mean, as as far as his play goes, I mean, he made some throws that, quite frankly, he had no business making, but somehow managed to complete them. Like, I like know. literally throwing against his body. And I thought, oh my god, like, what, what was it? But then he'd complete the pass, and like, oh, okay, like. Jake Winicky, he had two outstanding oh, catches. No and yeah, one had it, he had to go get. Well, that's just it. Like th- this is the thing: is that yeah, Trevor Harris threw some nice passes, but was it more about the fact that were they nice because Trevor threw them, or were they nice because the receiver pretty much had to do some gymnastics in order to be able to catch them, and mm-hmm. it, it just looked impressive. It was one of those. It's one of those chicken and egg kind of things. You're like, okay, I mean, listen. At the end of the day, he did what he had to do. He. He helped the Alouettes get the W. I mean, I'll, I'll give him credit for that. Uh, I, I seem to get dragged uh, by uh, the Alouettes' Joey Alfieri for not showing him the love. So, you <laughs> once, know what, here. Once this, again, once again this week. <laughs> exactly. And listen, maybe if the Alouettes were cutting me checks, I'd, you know, shower praise upon praise for Trevor Harris, too. But listen, I'll give credit where credit's due. Trevor did what he had to do to win yeah. the game. Yeah. And that's what we that's what we expect of our starting quarterback. If you're the starting quarterback of the Montreal Oats, we expect you to find the Geno Lewis's. We expect you to find the Jake Winnikeys. We expect you to find the Reggie White Juniors and score points. Exactly. That's that that's pretty much it. Like you do that, you win games, then yeah, you'll get your props. Simple yep. as that. Yep. Uh Harris threw to eight different eight different receivers. 
uh, that all had a catch. Uh, Gina Lewis led the team with 52 yards on seven receptions, two TDs, and uh, unlike last year, which so he which he deserved so much last year, but he got hurt near the end of the year. Gino broke the thousand yard barrier. Congratulations, Gino. Mm-hmm. Um, um, Jake Winicky, uh only on two receptions, had, uh, was second on the team with receiving with 51 yards. Uh, KJG had uh, had 46 yards. Uh, uh, Reggie White Jr. had 38 on some great, great catches by by Reggie White Jr. By the way, including the two point convert, which uh, yes, sir, just. The, the icing on the cake, as far as I was concerned, like, yes, it was great that the Alouettes took the lead, scored a touchdown, but to really hammer the point home, going for two. And I can see why they would have to go for two, because let's not forget, after the first touchdown uh, to Eugene Lewis, uh, uh, unfortunately, David Cote doinked the... Uh, yeah, the I know! Points. Stop the doinks! Uh, and and, and uh, they, always, they say, always go for two. You talk to our, our man Derek Taylor out in Winnipeg, and mm-hmm. he is the hugest proponent for always go for two. And sure enough, when uh, the LOS scored their second touchdown, sure enough, yep. they went for two. And yep. Reggie White was able to haul it in. And shout out to the Reggie White cheering section, apparently, which is next the, the section next to us. It, it is awesome. There's a, a whole group of young men. I don't know if, Reggie, if it's Reggie's friends or family or just well-wishers, but they were right up there like Reggie, 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 yep. Reggie. Yep. Amazing. Like this. So shout out to those guys. I mean, like, again, shout out to Reggie too for, for doing, you know, get, getting everybody amped up. Exactly. And sometimes it's just a simply, something as simple as a two point comfort is just enough to keep the, keep the fans excited, get them hyped and, just keep the good momentum going. Exactly. Uh, rookies in station, Tyson Philpot, four receptions for 24 yards. Uh, today's guest, Walter Fletcher, had a catch for, for 17. Uh, uh, Hergie Her- Her- Manali had uh, 10 yards. Who else? Did I, did I forget anybody? Yes. Uh, Jeshon Antwi had one catch for six. Um, how would you, how was your thoughts on the running game itself? We, and we do talk a little bit with Walter about it, and we'll you know, we'll get to the interview in a couple of minutes here. Um, you know, Walter led the team with uh, 45 yards on eight carries, a good clip of 5.6 <laughs> yards. Jeshua Antwi almost matched it himself. I mean, only six carries, but he all, he had 31 yards, and that was at five uh, five point two yards <sighs> per carry. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Thoughts on on this because there because as of right now we don't know because we're not going to see the depth chart until possibly Thursday or Friday on how what's going to be happening because uh, it is it's no secret that William Stanbeck is currently limited at practice, but he is practicing. Um, current thoughts on on the running game for this for this game, uh, and what the uh, addition of uh, uh, William Stanbeck could do uh, for the Alouettes offense? Well, without question, just the thought that William Stanbeck is coming back in time for a playoff run is going to make a lot of teams go, oh, crap. Well, there goes our – any chance that we had of making the playoffs or trying to best the Alouettes, well, that's out the window because William Stanback is back. Uh, I mean, just the fact that he suited up and is practicing this week is tremendous. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I do believe that uh, according to Three Down Nation, they, they've pretty much stated that uh, – According to the team that uh, Stanback is practicing, but will not be in the lineup uh, against Edmonton, so you get a okay. reprieve there, Elks fans. Uh, just the idea, though, the fact that he's back—he's back practicing. 
is huge. And that's not to take anything away from what Walter Fletcher and Josh Wenantri no. have done this year because no. they have been extremely solid. They've both been great options. I, I would like to see the run game used even more. And there's a little part of me that has to wonder, like opposing teams must realize just how good these guys truly are because I do feel like they're able to bottle up the running backs. Every now and again, you'll get these guys will break out a huge run. Uh, you know, like you look at uh, Fletcher last last week, he had a 21 yard scamper that was really nice. I really got got the crowd hyped up, but you don't see too too many of those. And I can't help but wonder if it's just the fact that they realize, okay, we're going to try to force Trevor Harris to throw, and hopefully he'll make his mistake. Even though realistically, he doesn't make too many of them. I mean. To the point where when he does make them, you're like groaning because I can't believe you did that. Like nine times out of ten, you you make that pass no problem, but this time you didn't. It was it's that kind of thought process, and I can't help but wonder if it's because of the fact that uh, defensive coordinators are scheming against the fact that okay, this Alwitz run game is dangerous, and we've yeah. got to be able to stop them no matter what. So. Not not to take anything away from what uh, Fletcher or Antwi have done this year, because. You give them the opportunity, they will run roughshod over you. Mm-hmm. And now you're going to be adding William Stanback back into the mix. It's going to make things very interesting because now, how, how do you have this potential three-headed monster? Is there a way of getting all three of these I guys know, involved? I know. It's going to be very interesting with how this roster could potentially be shaped and or change because of the addition of you know of William Stanback which looks like he'll be back for Turkey Day versus Ottawa so it, it'll it'll be very interesting to see what happens mhm mm-hmm. i mean it, it's a good problem to have when you think about it, if you're the Alouettes to know that you've got th- now three like all-star caliber running backs mm-hmm. three guys that you give them the rock they're going to definitely move the chains but you may not be able to have all three on the field to, you know or or dress or i mean they'll be dressed but like throughout like how do you rotate them in I guess would be the best way to put it. Like, how do you, especially with with Antwi being a Canadian? Exactly. That's, so that this is where it, the the ratio could lot could could easily loom large with how Danny Mac is going to decide how this team's going to be shaped going forward. But exactly. I, I, but I wouldn't be surprised if it goes a double duty, kind of what Stanbeck did a couple of years ago. I would not be surprised if it's a one two thing for just to just to start, you know, to slowly get him back into it. We'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. Well, obviously, we'll be able to more to be able to talk about it more next week uh, once we see, uh, you know, where the Alouettes are and uh, when it comes to, um, uh, I guess we could say how healthy he is. Yeah, because you're not gonna you're you're not gonna want to throw him into the fire. There's absolutely no need to. I think you. This is as far as I'm concerned the perfect situation. Just the fact that he's back after the injury suffered in week one. I know is, is tremendous, and. The last thing you want to do is put any undue pressure on Stanback. You just want to get him in there, let him do his thing, because you know you give him the opportunity, and he's going to straight up bowl over people. He's going to lower his shoulder and make plays happen. So, yeah. But realizing, listen, we're in a playoffs position right now, and barring something catastrophic, we're going to make the playoffs. So, save your best efforts for the playoffs. Like that's that's what I would tell William Stanback one hundred percent. And mm-hmm. I'm I'm hoping that the running back committee realizes this and they say to him like okay we want you and we will definitely make you a focal part of the offense again it's just let's let's not rush it simple yeah, as that just exactly let, let it happen naturally organically and knowing full well you've got fletcher and antwi there so you know there, there's no pressure whatsoever just let william come in do what he does and i i think fans will be excited and this team will be rewarded for that uh, for that patience 
thoughts on the um, thoughts on the on the offense and the defensive lines themselves? Because uh, you know, Owls did win the sack. Uh, I guess the sack race is something it by one by a score of one to nothing, <laughs> but it just goes to show that the Alouettes the, the O line did quite well considering how formidable that the uh, you know that the Tiger Cats uh, defensive line is. They didn't give up a sack at all. Um, th- thoughts thoughts on both the offensive and defensive lines for this past game. Uh, well, let's let's start with the defensive line. I mean, we've already know how how well they've played this year, and the return of Jamal Davis. Whew, I mean, that, that's a, a way great to way to back. look. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Way, way to reintroduce yourself to your fans is, oh, by the way, let me throw Dane Evans down on the ground and, uh, you know, notch the one sack throughout the game. That That's pretty impressive. And mm-hmm. again, you got to get props to both of these uh, offensive lines for the most part. Like when if there's only one sack between two teams. That's that's telling me both O lines are doing a, a fantastic job of protecting their quarterback. And Montreal has done a very good job of that as well. I mean, the fact that Trevor Harris is able to get the ball out. I mean, I, I do see him getting the ball out a little bit quicker now, which is nice. And the best way to, you know, you, you don't want to hang on to the ball too long, but sometimes you do need to make your reads and make sure that your O-line is able to give you that time and space to work with. And by and large, I think they've done a, a fairly decent job in being able to let Trevor do what he needs to do. And that's where you get to see some of those plays. Like, as I said, some of those throws that realistically he should not have been trying to even attempt, but, Lo and behold, he does and completes the pass. Okay, well, then I said you you can say that, oh, well, you know, Trevor did a great job throwing the ball. I'm like, yeah, he did. But uh, he wouldn't have been able to do that if it wasn't for the fact that he had the time and the space to be able to do so properly. And that's where your offensive line comes in. And I'm thankful that right now this line is as healthy as it's been in a long, long time. Like we haven't had too many major injuries aside from Sean Jameson earlier this year. Mm-hmm. But he's back now and he's back at that uh, – high level that we've come to expect out of him. Uh, I mean, pretty much everybody on this offensive line has really done a phenomenal job this year in doing the, what they can to protect the quarterback and also true cre- creating some of these lanes for guys like Walter Fletcher and Jack Antwi to come and rack up some of these like 10, 20 yard runs. And it's, it's as far as I'm concerned, the offensive line has really been outstanding this year, all things considered. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, kind of a doubter note, a couple of things, by the way, you know, we did have the return this past week of Tyrell Richards, but for series, we talked to him, uh, post game, uh, a, an arm injury. We were not, he wasn't sure yet. He's been kind of, I don't think he's actually been at practice this week at all. Uh, cause he was a, a no show or was listed as a, as a non-participant on, uh, uh on Tuesday, uh, and today, I think it was limited, if I'm not mistaken, or didn't uh, did not practice at all. Tough, tough, for, uh, to, you know, for a rookie like him. He's had such a you know second injury. Don't know how long he's going to be out, but uh, obviously he was in high spirits when we spoke to them to him post game. Uh, that he's hoping to be back uh, very very shortly. Um, and also, whether he is a a uh, he's on the other side of the field or not. Uh, he still he still has been a part of Alouette's Nation Cliff. We still have to give a a huge shout out, obviously, uh, for um, you know because it, it was a pretty. I'll let you explain it, but there there was a pretty pretty rough uh, uh, injury uh, in the um, God when was it in the third quarter in the third quarter for for, for the Tiger Cats. Yeah, it was tough because it was just as the Alouettes were driving downfield to score their first first touchdown. And unfortunately, uh, former Alouette uh, Rodney Randall Jr. Uh, just kind of got 
caught in some friendly fire with one of his teammates and to the point where they collided and there was even a bent face mask and your first thought immediately like he was lying there and just not moving mm-hmm. and immediately like you could hear a pin drop inside the stadium like that's how quiet it was like just just shock more than anything else too and then you even see the Alouettes bench reacting like trying to get the attention of the paramedics to try and get uh, you know do whatever they can to get get medical attention over to Randall right away and it, it was funny because like everything stopped so we didn't know what was going on and then like I had to hop on Twitter to see what was uh, what was happening see if they could find out who it was and sure enough when they saw it was Rodney Randall who was making his return to Montreal mm-hmm. after being let go by the after being released by the Alouettes and signing with the Tiger Cats, he was playing his first game back in Montreal. And it, it, it's tough. It, I mean, you don't want to see anybody get hurt, but I, I, I mean, just the way that he, and you see almost immediately, everybody was just quiet. Uh, guys were down on one knee mm-hmm. praying as they, as they tend to do it, just thinking good thoughts and hoping the best and making sure that he was going to be okay. And I'm, I'm very happy to report that, uh, all the tests came back negative. I think he just took one hell of a shot, like a stinger, if you will. But he was able to regain control of his limbs. And he even tweeted out afterwards, like uh, like the next morning, saying that uh, he's okay. He's just, you know, he took a, a really bad shot, but and he'll be back. He said, uh, I'm, I imagine, it, you know, there's there's still some recovery to be done. But uh, he did mention that he was, he was okay and he appreciated all the well wishes. And, yeah, we definitely, you know, definitely think – Nothing but good things for Rodney. Oh, exactly, exactly. He, I say, no matter if you're on the other side of the ball, if you're, you're either way, or whether you've been to Montreal or not, he, you know, he was a part of Alouette's nation. That's that's the main thing too. And just uh, it was good. To, I saw his tweet too. Um, I, you know, will he? You know, Tiger Cats are on a buy. Does it mean they're going to? He'll be back next. We don't know. Uh, but yeah, Tiger Cat, Tiger Cat. Fat, Tiger Cat fans. Wow, say that. That's really That's quite a tongue twister. I know, eh? Um, you know, uh watch out for watch out for this dude. Make sure he's make sure he does uh make sure he's okay. That's that's yeah. the main thing. Um hey Cliff, uh let's get out of the cold. Grab 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 a hot drink, uh cider, uh hot chocolate, coffee. Or your favorite alcoholic beverage, whatever it may be, whatever warms you up inside, if you know what I mean. Um, and let's talk to this week's guest. Uh, it was a guy who did not start with the Alouettes uh, initially, uh, but was brought over because of the situation with the um, uh, with the situation with uh, William Stanbeck. Uh, we had a great chat, so I hope you guys listen to stay and listen to the entire thing because great guy to talk to. I know he's he's mentioned that he's been want to be want to be on the show for uh, for a couple of weeks, and we were happy to finally be able to get him on. So, without further ado, uh, let's talk to Walter Fletcher. And when we get back, we will preview the upcoming matchup versus the Edmonton Elks. And joining us this episode is a gentleman who has been a huge help at the at the running back position, been able to step in when the Owls needed him the most. Uh, currently, I would currently call him the Alouette's current starting running back, number 25, Walter Fletcher. Hey, Walter, thanks for joining us, man. Uh, no problem. Thank you guys for having me. I'm um, excited to do this interview and um, yeah, I'm ready to get started, man. Thank you. Um, you mentioned to us, I just have to ask, you mentioned to us before we started the podcast, three days back, uh, since you got on the field today after three days off, what is, mm. for you, what are three days like in the pro running, you know, pro football player Walter Fletcher like? 
Um, I usually take a day off, just completely rest, um, you know, detach my mind from everything, um, just kind of kick my feet up, just recover from the game before. Um, on the second day, um, I go to the facility, check in with Coach Andre, you know, say what's up, um, get a lift in, hop in the tubs. And then um, on the third day, another recovery day, um, just transitioning my mind back to, you know, practice and check out some game film on our opponent and get ready for the work week. Now, I know we'll talk this a little bit later, too, but obviously this is going to be an interesting game for you, especially this week, because it is a team that, well, used to hold your rights before you were traded to the Montreal Alouettes. Um, does that give you any more motivation for this week? Uh, yes, 100%. Uh, I know we played Edmonton the first time around. Um, here, um, you know, we, were, we had a pretty big lead. Um, you know, we lost the lead. We lost the game. Mm-hmm. But um, I'm happy that we have another opportunity, um, which is this upcoming Saturday. But, you know, every time we play Edmonton, um, there's no bad blood there, of course. Uh, it's part of the business. Um, yeah. But, of course, that game is circled for me on the calendar. And, it's, you know, it's a game that, you know, I, we have to win, just the circumstances that we're in right now. But for myself personally, it's a game that, you know, I always want to, you know, do well and help our team win the best way that I could. For sure, for sure. <clears throat> and you've been doing, uh, you've been, as I said at the beginning, you've been a great help, obviously, uh, with 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 uh, within the running back position, obviously, with what happened this year. And but, um, one of I want to find out about you and how you got into football. And 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 I know you mm-hmm. you actually transferred from Edinburgh over to Ball State. But um, what in particular mm-hmm. got you into into football, Walter? Uh, really, my stepfather. Um, my parents, my mom got remarried when I was six years old. So my stepfather, he played football growing up, um, literally in high school, of course. But um, he was a big Philadelphia Eagles fan. So he really introduced me into football. I was more of a basketball player growing up. But I um, started playing football in seventh grade for the Ellicott City Patriots. Um, ended up playing football for two years until I went to high school. Uh, I went to Centennial High School in Ellicott City, Maryland. Um, I played three years of varsity there. Um, I actually just got elected to the Hall of Fame before I came to Canada this season. So that was uh, something that was, you know, rewarding for myself and my family. But um, I have an interesting story. Um, After high school, I was going to walk on to Towson University, but uh, my SAT scores, ACT scores didn't line up at the time. So I had to take it a few extra times. And by the time that I actually completed the scores that I needed, it was too late. Um, I called the coach and he just pretty much said, you know, our roster's full. And, you know, we would love to have you in the spring, but right now we can't take you on to the fall. So I decided to, um, I called around, started emailing a bunch of schools. Um, my school I ended up getting in contact with was East Coast Prep. So it's a prep school in Great Barrington, Massachusetts. So for prep school in the States, um, some of them are a year, but this one in particular was three months. So um, I was 17 years old. I went to East Coast Prep. Um, pretty much it was just football. They took our cell phones away. Uh, we lived in the woods in a cabin with eight other guys, and uh, it was an experience to say the least there. Um, when I started, I was actually fifth string on the depth chart. I um, started off fifth string, ended up working my way up, ended up starting the last four or five games. And um, after there, I, after the season ended, um, I didn't have any offers still. Um, so ended up reaching out to a Division three school in Virginia called Randolph-Macon, and uh, they gave me an opportunity to, to go there for the spring of 2015. And um, I, I enrolled there, but, you know, I didn't have a bad springtime, spring ball there, but I just thought, you know, I could play at a higher level, just playing with guys that in prep school end up going Division One, Division Two. I just felt like, um, you know, I could play at a higher level. So I ended up meeting with the coach at Randolph-Macon at the end of the semester and pretty much just told him, you know, I decided to reach out to some other schools and that I won't be returning. 
And um, I reached out to Edinburgh, which is Trevor Harris's school. I reached out to Edinburgh. Um, the coach re- reached out to me uh, actually like mid-July. So camp started August, I think, 8th. So mid-July, um, I ended up reaching out with the coach, ended up taking a visit there the week before camp, and uh, ended up walking on to Edinburgh. Um, my first season there, another situation, I was sixth string, um, decided to red shirt that year. And the following year, we had a new coach come in. And I ended up winning a starting job in spring ball and uh, ended up playing three years there. And uh, after my three seasons there, I had an opportunity to grad transfer that I, since I registered in my first season, mm-hmm. had an opportunity to grad transfer, end up emailing schools. And the only school that reached back out was Ball State. And the connection there was that um, Justin Lustig, who replaced our former coach at Edinburgh, ended up becoming the coach. And he ended up leaving to go to Syracuse. So when it was time to transfer, I thought about Coach Lustig. He came from Ball State. So I reached out to him, and uh, he kind of set that up for me. Took a visit to Ball State, and, uh, you know, that's how I ended up there. And I played my uh, grad transfer season there for a season and ended up, uh, you know, having a good season. And uh, when I left there, COVID happened. I was training in Georgia. COVID happened, so my pro day got canceled. And after that, I was outside of football for a little bit. And, uh, and yeah, that's kind of my story with whole college and getting to the CFL part, I guess. Um, yeah. I just had a curious, just had a curiosity, Walter, because I know, um, <clears throat> I know there are a lot of Canadian football fans who know about prep schools specifically, you know, for those who may remember, there are a lot of actually Canadians that go and play prep basketball. There's been a huge <laughs> amount of players have gone and played prep prep ball before they went to the NCAAs. Can you explain mm-hmm. specifically what prep school is for those who may not know? Cause it's, cause it's not a junior college. It's not a college. No. It's some, it's a mm-hmm. totally different ent- entity in itself, right? Yeah, hundred percent. So, uh, like I said, some prep schools, they're a year, uh, a year long, some prep schools are three months, but, um, you really want to go to prep school. Let's say, um, you know, you're missing a class or mm-hmm. you have to get the SAT or ACT scores. I think they took those away or something they changed with that. But like I said, for myself, um, it's usually three months to a year, but usually go there for, you know, classes or, or test scores, but also it's a chance to get recruited also for schools to see you play at a little higher level than than high school. Right. So it's a little bit, you know, competition, but another way to get seen in front of coaches, get a little bit more film to get your name out there. Okay. But um, it's a great reason. You know, I recommend it for sure. It's you know, like I said, it's another resource to get recruited. So yeah, um, obviously, congrats, mm-hmm. congrats about your being put into the Hall of Fame for your high school. That's that's actually a pretty cool accomplishment. Um, I know it's something I'll never get to. Um, <laughs> um, but also, one thing I found out, and correct me if I'm wrong, you're also the two-time Harlan Hill finalist. Is that correct? Yes. Uh, yeah. So my um, after my redshirt season, um, the following season. Um, or two years, two two seasons from my redshirt season, um, I set the school record for uh, rushing yards in the season, and that was with 1,700 yards. And uh, that that was a big year for me, just because you know being a walk on at Division two, going to prep school, and not having any offers out of school, that was very satisfying for me, just to accomplish that, and also for my teammates as well. I had a tremendous O line that year, tremendous coaching staff, and you know we put that together, and um, you know. I was awarded a finalist for the Harlan Hill that year. And then the following year, um, I followed that up with 1,600 yards. And uh, that was another accomplishment for myself that I, that I was happy with. But, yeah, that was, uh, that was definitely a, a blessing, man, for two-time Harlan Hill. Something that's difficult, 
especially in Division Two. There's so many great athletes there, so many guys coming from Division One mm-hmm. that may have gotten in trouble or, you know, certain situations happen. So, um, you know, that was that was definitely a tremendous honor for myself and my teammates, and, you know, I appreciate that. Yeah. Um, just so you fans who don't know what the Harlan Hill Trophy is, it's actually uh, it's an award given to the Amer- uh, American College football, given to the uh, individual selected as the most viable player in NCAA Division Two. something I didn't know. Mm-hmm. Um, I know we have the something similar up here, Walter. It's called the Heck Crichton Award. Um, so that, that goes to the mm-hmm. top Canadian. So, um, yeah, that's cool, man. That really is cool. And uh, um, obviously, um, it, we get into the CFL portion of your career first. Had mm-hmm. you when you were first contacted about? I guess that once mm-hmm. Edmonton first reached out to you, unless another re- team reached out to you first. Um, had you mm-hmm. ever heard of the CFL? Had you ever seen a game? Had you ever seen any anything? You know, had you seen any any bits of the game at all? Yeah, uh, CFL always used to come on ESPN. I was at home growing up, so I would pay attention to that. But um, Trevor Harris, the Edibar connection, um, I would always I have him on Instagram, follow him on Instagram, and you know we would talk here and there on Facebook because he would watch watch uh, some of my games at, at uh, Edinburgh. So I was familiar with his career. I followed his career, but um, actually how I got in contact with Edmonton was actually um, you know how COVID happened. I was out of football for a year and a half, almost two years, and. I posted an Instagram picture tagging Trevor because uh, I was the last person since uh, him to win player of the year for our conference. Mm-hmm. So I tagged Trevor in the picture and I was like, you know, mentioned with the goat, which is Trev. And he mentioned, he messaged me back on Instagram and he was like, uh, he was like, would you, uh, would you, would you care if I put a word, you know, talk to Brock, who was a GM at the time and coach Jamie to, you know, try to get you here to Edmonton. And I was like, of course, man, you know, I'm trying to get back in the game. I'm just staying in shape, working out, just waiting for opportunity. And uh, I promise you, man, three days later, I got a call from Brock. And uh, he said he liked my tape. He said, uh, Trevor's been saying good things about me. He reached out to some other people in my circle. And uh, he offered me a contract on the phone and said he would be sending it a day or two later. And he sent the contract and I signed to Edmonton, man. So Shout out to Trevor. You know, I owe him a lot just for getting me up here because without him, I, you know, I'd probably be at home. I don't know what I would be doing. So it's a blessing. Wow, that's amazing. To literally, hey, Cliff, yeah. I mean, to be literally offered the contract on the phone and to start your pro career. Oh, I mean, it's that's pretty. Only, only, only in the CFL, maybe? <laughs> no, I, I wouldn't go that far. But, I mean, it's, it's still a very cool connection nonetheless. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. That's. Yeah, I was like. Mm-hmm. So it was. Uh, it was a. It wasn't a. They didn't have. They hadn't have your negotiation rights. It literally was a contract, right, Walter? Yeah. So uh, yeah, uh, he Trevor called me. He said uh, Edmonton's going to put me on the neg list. So oh, okay. they put me on the neg list. Or when I talked to Trevor, he said he talked to Brock. And put, so they put me on the neg list. I think the day after, and then I think about three or four days after we spoke, I talked to Brock, and um, he ended up, like I said, ended up talking to me and then uh, sent me the contract over email and uh, you know that's how I went down man it's it's, it's crazy because without me posting that picture I would, wouldn't be wouldn't be playing the CFL today mm-hmm. so credit credit 100 that's cool man hey Cliff uh, mm-hmm. take over man go ahead all right uh Let's talk about this uh, Trevor Harris connection uh, over at Edinburgh. I couldn't help but notice mm-hmm. that you were the 2018 PSAC West Offensive Player of the Year and Trevor was the mm-hmm. 2008. Now, if my math is correct, there's a 10-year difference. <laughs> do, you, do you ever get on Trevor, Trevor's case about being the old head and uh, you the, yeah. the young buck? 
yeah, uh, Trevor's a uh, yeah. I get on him a little bit, but Trevor, like I told him all the time, like man, I can't even tell you're 36. Like you still looks young. He's he's in the weight room constantly. He's always doing the little things uh, with his brain and and uh, just making sure everything aligns for him to have a successful season. And uh, I like to shadow him. Everything he does, I try to I try to um, do the same thing. Just watching how he how he carries himself as a pro, how he prepares for games and. Yeah, he's a, he's the ultimate competitor, ultimate teammate. He's the guy you want to have around in your locker room, for sure. And it's just, there's definitely got to be the trust factor. Like when he's he's handing off the ball to you, he's got to believe that okay, he's going to go get that first down for me. Yeah, hundred percent. And Trevor's all he's he's a guy that's gonna he's very vocal. So he all he tells me every day that he trusts me back there, and I trust him. You know, when it's time to protect Trevor, I take that personal to you know not let any backers get on him. Any any safeties coming off the edge, I, I make sure you know that I do my part to protect my guy. And same thing in the run game; he's reading defensive ends for me to create lanes. I have that trust in him as well. Now, was there ever any interest uh, from the XFL or uh, some of these other leagues? Uh, like I know COVID obviously took took its toll on mm-hmm. football in general, mm-hmm. but uh, was there any other mm-hmm. interest in these uh, other leagues, or was it just strictly, you know, Trevor puts in the good word for you, come to Canada, and that's the end of the story? Yeah, because at the time, XFL shut down, I believe, a year before that. And then the USFL wasn't around the time. So for me, it was kind of uh, NFL or I didn't I mean, I didn't know how to get in the CFL at the time. My agent wasn't too familiar at the time how to get in the CFL. So for me, it was trying to, um, you know, trying to have my pro day. You know, I was training at the time in Georgia for three months. And then my pro day was actually the end of March. So the way it aligned, everything got canceled that time. So once the NFL, you know, they didn't, they didn't have anyone to verify my my, my stats or my not my stats but my time as far as my 40 yard dash and things so at that time it was kind of like NFL and you know kind of like you know where else am I going to go but you know like I've mentioned before Trevor Trevor looked out and you know gave me the opportunity that I, that I was looking for and you know I'm here to I'm here to run with it all right mm-hmm. uh let's talk about your experience at Edmonton I mean with Trevor aside obviously he, he gets you up there and uh mm-hmm. you know you get a chance to play with him uh obviously Things going on with the Elks. I mean, uh, it was it, let's let's call it what it was. It was a very challenging time, I would have to say, if you were a Edmonton Elks fan. For you as a player, though, mm-hmm. I mean, h- how hard is it to tune out that noise, tune out all the extracurricular stuff that's going on off the field in regards to the team, and just focus on your game itself? Well, for me, it's not too challenging because as an athlete, uh, you know, when you play good, you know, they're going to love you. When you don't play as as good, you know. They're gonna they're gonna criticize you, and you know we deserve that last year, um, especially with our record. You know Edmonton has a very rich winning history, so as as players, uh, you know we're hot, we're held at a higher standard by our fans. And last year wasn't wasn't where we should have been, but as a player, um, you kind of focus with focus on what's going on in the locker room. You know your coaching staff, uh, the guys around you. Um, I, we believed in each other last year, and that was the most important thing. You know we really didn't pay attention to the outside noise. Is about you know getting better every day and finishing the season as strong as we could have at the time. But you know, um, everything's a learning lesson. Um, that's my first season, so I learned a lot about the game. Um, you know how to be a pro. I was behind James Wilder, who's one of the best running backs in the CFL. So you couldn't ask for a better situation for myself. Learning behind a guy like that, um, he really prepares you for when your opportunity comes. Mm-hmm. Now going into the off season, uh, Edmonton cleans house. They bring in a mm-hmm. new president, new general manager. And head new general manager slash head coach. Uh, mm-hmm. What was it like uh, your, your experiences with uh, Chris Jones? Uh, it was a short time, but how how, how would you mm-hmm. describe your experience working with Chris Jones? Um, for me, um, 
he's more of a defensive side of guy. He's on more of the defensive side of things. But uh, as far as a coach, um, he believes in his guys. Um, he has a standard that he set over the years. And I can honestly say his camp was one of the hardest camps I've ever done as far as a double barrel. But um, it prepares you, though, for games. Um, double barrel, I don't, I don't know if you guys are familiar with that. So a double barrel, one team is on one side, another team is on the other side. So once once the ones and two, once the ones and ones are done competing, so it's every play. So one side runs a play, next side runs a play. You're just doing that back and forth, back and forth. So for me, um, play, for me practicing under Coach Jones, uh, it prepared me for games because um, he made practice hard, and I appreciate that as a player because once you get in the game, you're not thinking. All you're thinking is in practice. So when that time comes to play everything is just smooth. You're just playing fast. So um, for me, I, I didn't have a bad experience. I think he's, you know, he's a, he's a good coach. He believes in his guys. You couldn't ask for that more. You know, it's easier to play for a coach who believes in you. And like I said, I don't have anything, you know, bad to say about him, but I appreciate my time there hundred percent. Now let's talk about your time in Edmonton coming to an end and the reasons behind it. Mm-hmm. Uh, your reactions when you found out you were being traded as a result of William Stanback going down to injury. And now you're, basically expected to pick up his load and be the star, so to speak, for the Montreal Alouettes. Um, yeah, when I got that call, uh, it was actually one of our off days. Um, I was just, you know, chilling in my apartment, and I got, I got a call from my old Vancouver number. So, I, you know, G-Roy and the connection of BC, I figured it was uh, it was G-Roy. So uh answered the call, and uh, it was a short conversation. Pretty much just said, you know, last year it was tough for me to get on the field just with, you know, the whole roster sizes and things like that. And he said, same thing for this year, you know, they brought back James Wilder. So I understood um, that my role wouldn't be as big, but um, he just pretty much said, you know, uh, Montreal gave me a great opportunity to come in and play with a standback injury happening. And he thought that it would be a great fit for myself. And um, I agreed as well. And, you know, that was pretty smooth. And then uh, when I got here, um, Everybody opened me with open arms. Our coaching staff was great. Um, they got me up to speed with the plays. Uh, for my thing in particular, it was more about, you know, not putting too much pressure on myself. Uh, that, I feel like that's something I did in the beginning, which, you know, felt like I had to come out and make plays right away and try to be the guy. But for me as a player, I'm, I'm a team guy, so I don't really put that pressure on myself. I think I was just caught up in the moment. But um, as the season has gone on, I feel like I'm starting to get comfortable start not to think as much and I feel like the guys around me and the coaching staff has trusted me and uh like I said um I think we're we're rolling right now but we have a lot of work to do of course but um yeah I just I appreciate the opportunity that's here a lot of guys around the league don't get the opportunity to where you're traded to a team and you have a chance to actually come in and play so I appreciate everything Montreal has given me thus far and you know I'm I'm, ha- I'm happy to keep this thing going and if I remember correctly, and, too, I think the first practice you were at, Walter, I think I introduced myself. I welcomed you to Montreal, if I remember correctly. So um, what what is it like as a as a player being traded? I mean, we've asked this many questions, many to uh, the guys who we've had on the on the podcast before. But for you, what is it like being traded to another team from from the team that you started off with? Uh, for me, um, you know, I had this idea. I understand pro sport. I had this idea that I was going to play for Edmonton for years. Uh, you know, I was home. I know I was only there for a year. But for me, um, the fans, my teammates, um, you know, I that was home at the time. But for me, um, I was kind of shocked when that call happened. Because you see on TV at the bottom of the screen, this guy's been traded. Or you mm-hmm. go to Twitter and really don't think about that that could possibly be you. But uh, when that happened, um, I was a little bit shocked. You know, I called my family, told them what happened. And um, pretty much I talked to Eric. 
he was just like, you know, can you come here tomorrow? And I was like, you know, I just need a couple of days to figure things out as far as, you know, my apartment there and bringing my stuff over and things like that. But um, for me, you could think about it, not negatively, but you could, you know, kind of feel sorry for yourself in a way because it's like you're starting over, a new teammate, new team. But for me, I kind of transitioned my mind and thought of it positively. Um, you know, unfortunately, Standback went down with an injury. But for me, it was all about opportunity. Um, you know, that's what you work for in the off season is really getting an opportunity to play and showcase your talent. So for me, it was just kind of like a mindset switch. It's like, don't think about, you know, you're leaving, you're going to a new city. It's more about opportunity, playing, getting, you know, helping a team win and, and you know, trying to win a great cup. For sure. <clears throat> had you uh, had you ever been in Montreal before, before you stepped, uh, stepped on the field? I haven't, but I've heard like, a couple of my teammates from Edmonton were from here. So they, I was talking to them um, even before I got traded. They would always talk about Montreal, how great of a city it is, the food, so everything about it. So once I got that call, I was like, wow, I'll actually come here and experience it. And um, like I said, I, I, I really enjoy Montreal. I'm enjoying my time here, but I haven't been here before. Okay. Um, I got traded. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Quick, Cliff. Uh, talk to us about the relationship you have with uh, the other running backs. I mean, and I guess now mm-hmm. this will have to include uh, William Stanback, but uh, mm-hmm. uh, working with uh, Joshua and Antwi, uh, mm-hmm. I mean, the two of you, as far as I'm concerned, have done more than enough to prove that you belong on this team. I mean, you both bring mm-hmm. excitement, energy to the to the game each and every day. Uh, talk about mm-hmm. the running back room and just how you, how cohesive a unit it is. Um, running back room is great, honestly. Um to backtrack a little bit, when I first got here, when I met with Coach Andre, I told him I was like, uh, I was like, it's the first time that I really have a true running back coach that's that's been around for years, that's played the position. I felt like it'll be an opportunity to take my game to the next level, um, and we we talked about that. And but as far as our room, um, the room is great. Uh, stand back, he's a very selfless guy. He's a leader. Um, he doesn't care how many carries he gets. He doesn't care about being the man. He just wants to win. And uh, same thing with Jeshron. Um, when I got here, he opened me a welcome arms. Uh, for me, I thought it was a perfect, perfect mesh because the type of player I am, I'm a team first guy. I don't, I don't care about playing time, carry. I just want to win. And uh, my room is is, is is a very selfless room. You know, we don't care about who who has more carries this game or that game. We all want to see each other succeed. And having stand back back now, I think that's going to elevate our room even more. Type of player he is. And like I said, we're we all have the same goal and that's to win, you know, rather who's out there in the backfield doesn't matter. We know we got each other's back and it's a, it's a very, it's a very good group to be around. This is the most, this is the most fun I've had in a long time playing football. So um, I appreciate this group. And like I said, uh, on the field, you can tell the cohesiveness on the field. You know, when I come out of the game, we slap each other five. When he comes in, same thing, you know, it's all love. And like I said, when you have a team like that, you can go very far. It's amazing. All right, let's talk about you on the field. You got your first mm-hmm. CFL touchdown this year uh, against the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. Mm-hmm. Take us through that. Take us through the play that got you that first tutty. Um, it was an inside zone play. Um, it was an inside zone play. We were in the red zone. And when I got the ball, for me, it was, it was, you know, typically when you get the ball, you have your reads. But for me, I, I saw a cutback and the backside A-gap. So when I got the ball, I knew how to be a little bit patient and let, my, let the O-line get out a little bit. But uh, when I got the ball, I saw the cutback. Uh, I took two steps, ended up bringing it back to the left, and uh, just lowered my shoulder and, and, and uh, got in there for, two. I think, the two- or three-yard run. But at the time, we were losing. So, you know, I can't really enjoy it in the game, uh, especially when you're, you're losing at the time. But for me, it was, uh, it was a blessing, man. Uh, everything I've been through, 
to get here and to score a touchdown professionally. Um, you know, not too many guys can say that. But um, overall, with the play, um, I think it was a great play call. I don't think they were expecting it. But like I said, it was the inside zone run. Um, like I said, I saw a backside A-gap, a, a lane there, and I took it and got in there. Did you keep the now, ball? I, 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 uh, so at the time, I, I, the time the ball, one of the ball guys at SAS, he said I couldn't keep it. But then uh, Gino ended up uh, overhearing my conversation, and he ended up grabbing the ball for me, and I ended up keeping it. So uh, Dom ended up signing, uh, ended up, riding on the football and putting it in my locker the next day. So, you know, that was that was great to see and great to have. I actually gave the ball to my dad, so it was good to have. Oh, that's nice. And, and I'm about to say, what player who scores their very first professional touchdown doesn't get to keep a ball, whether you're at home or away? What's with what's with those rider people? Yeah. Come on, man. <laughs> a lot of my teammates, a lot of my teammates, because I, I didn't really, I didn't celebrate or anything, but a lot of my teammates didn't know that was my first touchdown. Mm. Honestly, no one knew besides me, so... Yeah, I, you know, I think I can, I cut him some slack, you know, he didn't know, but yeah, I was definitely trying to keep that 100%. Man, I just would have taken the ball and ran right to the the sidelines, screw them. (laughs) (laughs) I know. You you, you actually made a good comment here, Walter, and I want to ask you about this. You you know, Cliff was just asking you about the, about what's the room like with him, with the, with the running backs, but. For you mentioning Geno Lewis specifically, obviously he is a longtime vet here in the, for the Montreal Alouettes. Uh, one of the mm-hmm. guys that, that most fans will recognize on the, on the Alouettes roster. What has it been like to have mm-hmm. Geno as, I, I guess whether we could say he's a mentor or somebody you may look up to for information, stuff like that. But mm-hmm. what's it like to have Geno as your teammate? Um, Geno's a great teammate. Um, like I said, this locker room, my first, the first day I stepped in this locker room, is just, it's a family environment. Like, it really gives me... A, college college vibes as far as just the cohesiveness uh, everyone's cool there's no drama you know but as far as you know as a player um as a as a leader um he's always there to help you know uh, if you you know watching our games our running backs we have certain route combinations and he's always there to give us tips you know what leverage to take what to look for things like that and uh Gino is this very selfless guy uh he doesn't care about stats um you know in the locker room he rarely talks about himself or anything like that but um, he's just a great guy to have in the locker room. You know, with Gino, you know where, what you're going to get out of him every day in practice and in the games, and he brings that fire every day. And once you once you see that, that motivates everyone else to to go to that level as well. So he sets the tone for our offense, um, and we know what to expect out of him, and he knows what to expect out of us. And you know, uh, we're we're big on trust here in the in the huddle. I walk in the huddle, Fletch, I trust you, man. Do what you do, you know. And once you hear that, all you can do is elevate, you know, because you know your brother has your back. So that's just, it's just, he's a guy you want to have in your locker room. For 100%. sure. Yeah, for sure. That's okay. awesome. Like just, just hearing that you, you got to want to like run through a wall at that point, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> I'm telling you exactly. And you, you can see that, uh, you know, offense definitely has to play better, but I, I think you can, so that second half in Hamilton, you can kind of see us come together. And that's, that was a prime example of just us in the locker room saying, you know, we're, we're all we got, we all we need, you know, we're brothers. It's just time to turn it up, and you know, once you hear that from Trev and Gino, you know, we all we all want to play better, and that's that's what happened. Well, there's no there's no question. You've been putting in the work. We see we see the numbers. I mm-hmm. mean, you're like you're averaging five yards a carry every time you get the ball. So I mean, like that's that's nothing to sneeze at. I mean, like you're definitely helping to move the chains here. I mean, that's why mm-hmm. Tim and I we've talked about it numerous times. Like when this team gets away from the run attack, we don't know why because you and Jeshurun. You're doing the job. You guys are putting in the work. You don't get a whole lot of carries, but you make the most of what you get. So 
I, I just don't understand at times when they get away from the run like that. Mm. Yeah, yeah, it happens. Like I said, um, yeah, I, I trust AC. Uh, AC has played 20 years in this league, so he's seen everything. And uh, I know certain, certain, maybe certain times in the game, he may be thinking one way or this way. But like I said, with our room, we just we execute what's called. If we need a pass block, they're going to be there. If we need to run a route, they're going to be there. But, um, you know, I think as the season goes on, close to playoffs, excuse me, I think, uh, you know, we'll definitely get to the run. But like I said, I trust AC. I, I trust Coach Andre with his preparation. And, you know, I, I, like I said, I, I just do what's called, man, for sure. Yeah. Now, um, as mm-hmm. we know we have a, a, just a little bit of time in Montreal, but uh, I'm sure the fans want to know what you're what you like about the city. What's it like playing at Percival mm-hmm. Molson? Because a lot, you know, a lot of fans, when it comes to fans wanting to to see a game in the CFL, a lot of them do list at Percival Molson as being one of the places that they want to see uh, a game being played mm-hmm. at. But let, let's talk about Percival Molson and the fans first. Uh, very first home game. What, what what was your reaction? And obviously, you got to play at home for the very first time. You get to you get to warm mm-hmm. up. You get to get hyped. What what was it like playing at Percival Molson for the very first time in front of your fans? I just want to say, not just because I play for the Alouettes, but this is the best place to play in the CFL. Just the fan interact interactions uh, after pregame, slapping up the fans, talking to the fans, coming out of the locker room in the tunnel. It really gives you that atmosphere that you know you have the support in the community, and it makes you want to play ten times harder for the for the fans that show up every game. Either if we win or lose, they're there for us. But just the atmosphere. Um, just the horns, the yelling, the screams, the high fives after the games. It's just, it's a very home, home environment. Mm-hmm. And I, it's, it's cool to play for a place like that. You know, Edmonton, you know, uh, you know, we're not doing so high. We weren't doing so high at the time, but coming here was just a breath of fresh air because like I said, it really gave me that feeling of, you know, your home, your home crowd is, is behind you. But as far as the city of Montreal, um, I love the food here. <laughs> That's the number one thing that stood out to me is the food and the people. Uh, it's great people here, friendly people. Um, you know, they're always here to help, um, especially for me coming at a time, you know, I'm midway through the well, beginning of the season. Um, you know, I didn't really know my, my way around here and everyone, my teammates, the city, anything I needed, they helped me get around. So uh, just a very close family atmosphere. You know you have their support no matter what. So that's, that's definitely good to know and good to have around you. Now, how do you usually get around the city? Is it by metro, or do you usually take a car, or, or is it a combination of both? Um, by metro. I'm from the suburbs, so this is my first time living in a city like this. Mm-hmm. So for me, it was an adjustment, <laughs> adjustment for sure. Uh, I know my first week here, I was on the metro, man. I somehow ended up at the mall. I got <laughs> off my side. I ended up, <laughs> so I ended up Ubering home. Uh, but, you know, that was experience for me. But, yeah, the metro is... Uh, it's definitely been something that took me a while to get adjusted to, but uh, I, I enjoy it now. You know, it's, it's it's pretty easy now, but yeah, mo- mainly by metro though. Okay, are you that? And I'm not asking specifics, but are you are you that? How close are you to uh, the practice field over at, uh, at the Big O? Is it just a couple of stops, or do you have to go a little bit farther farther along? Um, so for me, um, it's just five stops. So I'm at Barry. I go to the Barry Metro. Oh, that's good. Okay. Um, yeah, yeah. So I'm about, I think it's five or six stops. So for me, it's a one-way shot, a one-way shot to uh, the stadium. So for me, it's a smooth ride. Um, you know, I usually get in the metro around um, 8.15, 8.10, and then okay. you know, I get to the facility early, start my day. But yeah, it's not too bad. It's pretty it's pretty quick now. Have you been recognized yet on the metro? Um, no, I wear my Hallowest gear. So, you know, some people stare, you know, they might, you know, say hello, but no, I haven't been recognized yet. Um, 
not yet though. Yeah, exactly. Not yet. Not yet. Mm-hmm. We, we need- I was going to yeah. say, not, not, not you've been on the show, that just might change. Don't be surprised. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> For um, me, I don't, I'm not really, uh, yeah, I'm not big on like popularity and stuff, so I'm kind of a shy guy. So uh, yeah, I don't really mind it, but you know, um, like I said, after the games and things, uh, I definitely get recognized. And like I said, it's cool to hear kids, you know, calling you their favorite player and hearing parents say they love they love watching you and your kid looks up to you. So um, you know that that keeps me going, man. It's been a blessing here. I've been having a great. I've had a great experience here this far. That's cool, man. Doesn't doesn't get better than that, man. <clears throat> exactly. Yeah. But um, before we get to the end and talk about you know, the matchup this week uh, versus the mm-hmm. uh, versus Edmonton, a little bit more about Montreal. You talk about food. You talk about the love of the food that you've seen and uh, that people told you about. Currently, what is your go-to place to eat in Montreal? So right now, I haven't I haven't been to the same place twice, which is surprising. Which is surprising, but um, I haven't. Well, stop, before I answer that question, I haven't had poutine yet. Okay. So if you have any recommendations for a good poutine spot, um, please let me know. Cliff does. But I want yeah, for sure. Cliff has a great, has a few spots yeah. he can mention. Oh, yeah. Right. Uh, if you guys talk to Sam Bacardino, I forgot the name of it, but they actually took me to a Haitian spot near the stadium. I forgot the name of it. I have to double check. But I went there last week, and there was, it was really good. So um, definitely that place. And then um, there's also another spot that I went to not too long ago. It was in Old Port. It was like a roof-type setting, mm-hmm. rooftop set. Okay, yeah. Name, too. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I can't remember the names. I'm sorry. Uh, a lot of them are hard to pronounce. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. I've been to a lot of good food spots around here, man, for sure. Well, listen, don't worry. As far as Putsin goes, there's – no shortage of great places, and I'll tell you what, we'll even take you if, if need be, Fletch. We want to make sure you, you get the good stuff and make sure that you tell everybody back in Maryland what's, uh, when it comes to puts in. Like, I know they got the crab cakes over there, and that's all well and good, yeah. but when it comes to puts in, once you've had it, it's a life changer. Yep. Okay, yeah, definitely want, definitely want to check it out before I leave, man, 100%. Yep. Yeah, something, something for sure that will have to be on a cheat day, um, for sure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, off day, yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, you, you mentioned before, and I'm guessing this is why you said it. What's What's it like getting used to the French language? Um, for me, I've, I've told a couple people that I know that I want to learn at least, you know, be able to have a conversation. But uh, it's, when high school, um, you know, you have the option to take French or Spanish. Mm-hmm. So when uh, some people that I saw my classmates took French, they would always tell me it's a hard language to learn. So I went the Spanish route. But I should have went the French route because now that I'm here in Montreal, <laughs> I could have been fluent by now. But uh, it's been challenging at times, but I'm starting to pick up different phrases, certain words. So I'm getting better, man. But hopefully by the time that I leave to go back home, that, you know, I'll be able to retain and be able to have a conversation at least. That's my goal. Just, you know, maintain a conversation for but sure. I was about to say, even Gina, where we, when we saw him last week on the field, that's where we had talked to. Even Gina's like, if he's not, if he doesn't know a word, he asks, and we're, and we're like, "Hey, we're we're here to help you, man." It's it's we had, and I'm sure that I'm sure the fans understand that you're not flu- fluently in French, but I, they do, and Cliff will agree with me on this one. They appreciate the even just saying bonjour or comment ça va. Mm-hmm. You know, they appreciate your you know even just trying to speak French to them. It means it does really mean a lot to them. Big time. Yeah, I see that. Yeah, for sure. Uh, for me, it's been a lot of translating translator apps on my iPhone uh, as far as different certain words. But yeah, like I said, I know the basics, you know, bon matin, bonjour, bonsoir, mm-hmm. um, certain okay. words like okay. that. But I'm starting to pick that's, up a little bit more. 
Okay, that's a good start. Mm-hmm. I mean, listen, that that's better yeah. than a lot of people. Yep. So. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's all about the effort, man. That's that's really what it is. Exactly. Yeah. exactly. <laughs> so, Cliff, Cliff Gordon, uh, let's uh, go and bring us into the uh, the matchup uh, with Walter for, for the game this week versus Edmonton. Okay, I know, you, Walter, you said this is all about business, and obviously you guys have a goal in mind. I mean, you want to you want to win this match because even though Montreal can't clinch a playoff spot with a victory, you still want to go in and you still want to make a good impression. You want to go and show that everybody that, listen, the Alouettes are serious this year. Uh, what's going to be the mindset going into this match? I mean, Edmonton, they haven't won at home in forever, and mm-hmm. Montreal's looking to maintain them, themselves, like keep pace with Toronto. What are the keys for this game for you as far as uh, preparing this game as as essentially the starting running back? Um, for me, it's, uh, number one is ball security. Um, you know, ball security is job security uh, for myself, and one thing I want to do is definitely take care of the football. Um, number two is, you know, Coach Jones' defense, man, he throws a lot at you, um, a lot of blitzes. Uh, he really he really tests your preparation as a player. So for me, it's, you know, putting a lot of time in the film, the film room, um, seeing guys, different tendencies, you know, what do they show, where their looks, you know, how their safety is aligned, where their back is at. So uh, definitely my, the mental side of things, you want to come in there sharp. You know, you don't want to be on the field and there's certain looks you haven't seen before. So, uh, you know, ball security, uh, the mental side of things. But you know, number number three for me is just having fun. Um, don't go into the game trying to have something to prove or, you know, trying to do too much. Um, just play my game, you know, have fun out there. And I think the rest will take care of itself as far as my teammates. Um, I think we're in a good, we're at a good spot right now. Just winning, you know, uh, winning our last, our last home game. I think that's great momentum showing that, you know, even if the first half's not good, you know, we have, we can come out in the second half and play well. So uh, for me, it's just, you know, having fun with it and just being fundamentally sound overall. Mm-hmm. And obviously like the 19 point, you know, I, 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 I hesitate to use this word, but just well, I won't even use it then. Letting a 19-point lead slip through your fingers, shall we say. Does that weigh on your you guys' mind, or is it just one of those things like, you know what, it happened, it's in the past, we move forward? Yeah, um, you know, you want to have a short memory plan professional sports. Uh, every week's another week to, to get better and uh, put a win on the board. But for us, it's more of learning from that game. Uh, I know uh, we all made mistakes. Um, offense, defense, special teams. So for us, it's more about going out there on Saturday and correcting those mistakes and letting the chips fall where they do. Um, all we can do is control what we can control, and that's learning from our mistakes and executing this game and, uh, you know, getting the win. But, um, you know, I think once we come together as a team, I just think we're a dangerous team in this league. So that's the thing, just staying together and playing fast and execution. That's really what it comes down to is just taking care of the basics, making sure you take care of the little mm-hmm. things before they become big things. Yeah, that's that's, mm-hmm. that's football in a nutshell. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yep. Mm-hmm. Well, All right, uh, before we let you go, uh, Walter, I I, I want to personally ask you, talk to us about uh, Duo, your, uh, the company mm-hmm. that you uh, are the owner of, okay. Duo Endeavors. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes. So uh, Duo uh, stands for uh, Determined, Underrated, Overlooked. Um, and I started that in 2018 while I was in college. And this is actually before the NIL deal, so I couldn't profit off of it. So I, uh, I started it. I trademarked it in 2019. But Duo just kind of represents my life, um, not just football, but things I've been through. But um, I really hone into the football side, too, um, as far as a lot of people like me maybe didn't have offers, may not be the biggest guys, uh, maybe had trials outside of football. And I think Duo just stands for those type of people who, who are determined through everything, you know, even 
you if you have a bad day or a good day, you still are determined. You know, that doesn't that doesn't deter your mind from your goals. And the underrated overlooked part comes from for me, like I mentioned before, not having any offers, coming from a small high school, going to prep school, division three, division two, division one, and then now the CFL, just being underrated, um, never losing that fire in your heart and your mind. And then the overlook, same thing. Um, like I said, I'm not the biggest guy. You know, a lot of people think I can't do certain things in the field, but, you know, I don't let that I don't let that determine my game. So the overlooked portion just gives me the extra fire to keep going and keep proving others wrong, show them that, you know, I can't be an every down back or, you know, I can't I can't do this off the field. I can't do that. So, you know, it's just something that I've done. I've tried to promote on social media and through my apparel and a lot of people have gravitated towards it. Um, one of my teammates actually made Sports Center and wore my T-shirts on. So that was cool to see. But, um, yeah, it's just a brand just to bring people together. Uh, like I said, it's not just a sports thing. It's a life thing. So, you know, uh, determined, underrated, overlooked, man. Just want to keep pushing that and keep motivating the youth and anybody that comes in contact with me. That's amazing. That is great stuff, man. That is cool. Appreciate wow. it. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, that really is neat. Um, hey, listen, obviously, you know, we wish you nothing but the best for the game versus Edmonton this week. We want the, for us, for their streak to continue, for us, for our momentum to continue, <laughs> you know, to getting closer to securing that, uh, that number two, um, potentially getting it to that number one, you know, uh, spot in the, in the Eastern division. Um, if anybody wanted to, to follow you on social media or, uh, how would they do so, Walter? Uh, my name is, uh, Walter Fletcher underscore on, uh, Instagram and Twitter, uh, so it's the same username on both Walter Fletcher underscore and, you know, follow me, tweet me, Instagram, message me. I'll always reach back. I love interacting with the fans. So um, I look forward to speaking with you guys too. For sure. And, and obviously again, good luck to you this week. And uh, you know, we'll, uh, we we'll, hopefully we'll be able to see you post game uh, uh, for your first Thanksgiving day classic in Montreal next week. <laughs> so get you a little bit of Turkey. So <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I look forward to seeing you guys too, man. Thank you guys for having me tonight. I appreciate it. Yeah. Much appreciated, man. All right. Take care. Thanks for Walter for coming on to the pod. Uh, I love getting these long form interviews, Cliff, because I think it gives the player a chance to really tell us about what they like, what their what their career's been like, how they started it, and you know, that that's that's what I, you know, that's what I like about these things. It's even if they're one take, which most of the time they are. Uh, I just love being able to let the, the 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 players themselves just just talk and tell us about their life. Yeah, just giving them the opportunity to tell their story because let's face it, I mean, there's there's times where you you know certain players what their story is all about thanks to TSN and the CFL website and what have you, but uh, sometimes you don't always get the whole story from certain players. So to give the opportunity to someone like a Walter Fletcher to you know tell his story a little bit, and it's a uh, pretty fun uh, just. It's incredible knowing that uh, he's got that connection with Trevor Harris, and he's got to experience it not once but twice with two different CFL teams. That's exactly. I, I that's what I took away more than anything else. Like wow, like so these guys are pretty well intertwined, if if you will. So it it, it kind of explains why Walter has been doing so well as a member of the Alouettes too. So I mean, it's great to have that. Uh, definitely appreciate him coming on, spending some time with us, and you know, we we really hope that the podcast karma will now. Be a part of him, mm-hmm. and as you know, like as soon as a player comes on the podcast, usually they end up having an amazing game. So, sorry, Elks fans, if you were looking forward to seeing Walter Fletcher come back, uh, he just may go off on you on Saturday. So, if that happens, well, 
Sorry, not sorry. <laughs> Before we talk about the preview for the game itself, a uh, couple of real quick things. Uh, I want to give a quick shout out to Kyrie Z. Bear. You know, they, they, uh, he signed a one-day contract with, and, and retired with the Alouettes. It was great seeing him uh, get his due. Um, the, I said before, it was great seeing, obviously, Chip Cox. My, my, and getting, you know, getting his recognition for being a, uh, being inducted into the Hall of Fame. My only real beef, Cliff, and I mentioned this to you before, uh, at the, you know, post game, and I was mentioning it to other people too, is that I really felt that, uh, the, the way that it was done with the ceremony and the halftime show, I really think that it really, it really took away from Chip's ceremony. Um, because that, you know, while they're doing the, the uh, congratulations to Chip, you know, uh, giving him his jersey, uh, giving him a, a commemorative jersey, et cetera, and, and giving him his accolades, they're setting up for a, a, a halftime show with guys playing uh, uh, light-up drums. I, I really think it was a, a slight, kind of a slight. Uh, I really wish that the Alouettes had done this a little bit better. Um, but then again, you know, what do I know about logistics, but still, uh, you know, still congratulations, but real quickly, what, what was your thought on, on how that was done? Yeah. I mean, I think, uh, it, you want to give someone like Chip Cox, who again, being inducted in the hall of fame is no small feat folks. I mean, that's pretty, as, as far as like, you know, accolades go for, for players, like it doesn't get much bigger than that other than, yeah, winning a great cup is fantastic, but just being recognized by your peers and, being considered among the best of the best, and that's what the being inducted in the Hall of Fame basically is, is being recognized as one of the very best Canadian football players there is. Yeah. The fact that he didn't get – or I mean, he got his props. He got uh, a very nice tribute to him and everything yeah. like that. But, it, yeah, when you're also got like some drum group setting setting up shops, so to speak, so, so as soon as you can get this guy off the field, you can go into your little, little light show and nonsense like that. I think that that was that could have been done a little bit better, to tell you the truth. Uh, I, I kind of got that same vibe too, and they saluted John Bowman when he made his return to Montreal last season. Slightly different, though. Uh, slightly different because of COVID. I'll I'll, I'll give that a, a mulligan, and I'll give that one a pass. Uh, but I understand where you're getting at, though. Yeah, no, it's just like you know what? Let the fans really, truly get a chance to salute these guys because of everything they brought to this team, everything they've done for this organization, they definitely deserve their moment in the sun. And I don't know, it could have been timed a little bit better. I don't know if it would have been better to do the light show daily first and then have the celebration for chip or pregame uh, again, put the drums pregame. For, for example, I mean, there's any number of ways that this could have been done. And I, you know, at the end of the day, we're just happy that Chip got his due. He got saluted by his uh, former teammates, and there was a a, a, a lot of really nice tributes yeah. on the video board yeah, with really uh, with uh, a lot of his uh, former uh, former teammates, and fantastic. Like, and you can see Chip was just so happy. He was happy to have his family there, happy to get the salute from everybody, and like I'm sure if you need to ask him, like, why are you making all this fuss for me? Like, that's just the kind of player Chip was. Like, just a, a humble player. You know, even though he was a beast on the field, like off the field, he was very reserved, very quiet, uh, soft-spoken, just, you know, just absolute prince of a guy. So I, I'm really happy that the Alouettes were able to salute him. Uh, I, I don't think they're going to retire his jersey anytime soon. We've had this discussion numerous times, and we won't get into that. But I'm just glad that the Alouettes were able to properly salute him, congratulate him for being nominated into the Hall of Fame, and just give him a chance to really say thank you to all of his fans. So once again, this organization does retirements or, you know, 
celebrations very well and Chip Cox's was no different. Exactly. Uh, one real big uh, uh, transaction that came across the wire, uh, Don, uh, wide receiver Dante Apture was released by the Alouettes. Um, th- thoughts on on Dante being released? I guess it's not a surprise because he was a big part of that former regime, if you will. Like, And I'm talking about uh, – like the Cavis Reed era, the Vernon Adams era, like that, the Kahari Jones era. Like he was a, a very integral part of Vernon Adams. Like th- these two guys have known each other for a long time and they've worked well together. So kind of like where Vernon goes, Dante goes kind of thing. Like that was it. So once, uh, uh, once VA was, uh, was traded, you had to wonder like just how much longer was Dante just going to be on the practice roster? Cause he, I don't think he's even dressed for a game this year, if I'm not mistaken, or maybe just one game just he may have dressed yeah. for. Yeah, one. So, so he's clearly not in the plans. Now, I understand too, like wide receivers. I mean, like we we've had this discussion too numerous times. Like the, this wide receivers core, they've stayed healthy pretty much all year. Like it's trying to crack that roster is next to impossible. So, a guy like Dante Abshire would have to be outstanding, enabled in order to be able to even consider getting him into the lineup somehow. And I just felt, okay, it's just a matter of time, especially especially with Vernon being gone. Like, how much longer is Dante going to be a, a member of the Alouettes? Like, even if it's just on the practice roster. And sure enough, uh, he's now on the outside looking in, which is unfortunate because definitely a good dude. Uh, definitely a, someone who I would have loved to have seen a little bit more out of, but it just didn't work out. So, you know, that, that's football for you. Yeah, exactly. Again, I, I know some, he's going to find a roster spot somewhere because he is definitely a talented player. Uh, who knows? Maybe he goes and gets on BC's practice squad. You know, reunites with his old buddy uh, Vernon Adams. So anything's possible, right? So. Oh yeah, yeah, exactly. Almost anything is possible. Um, also, if anybody happened to notice what, that we have changed our the, our logo uh, colors on our Twitter account uh, over at Alouette's FL Deck, um, Cliff, there is a reason. And uh, uh, why did the why did you and I change the colors? Well, it's uh, in recognition of, uh, uh, I hope I'm getting this right, National Truth and Rehabilitation. No. Reconciliation. Reconciliation. I'm sorry. I knew knew I'd screw that up. It's okay. (laughs) National Truth and Reconciliation Day, uh, which is to uh, pay tribute and homage to uh, our indigenous population. Uh, which also ties in, like you'll notice that the theme is orange. Like they're they're very big on the orange shirt day that's coming up uh, on Friday, and it, it's basically just a chance to show that uh, you know we we stand with uh, the indigenous community as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's not forget uh, the island of Montreal at one point was mostly indigenous as well. Uh, I mean, like there's there's a lot of tie tie-ins to this, so we wanted to find a way to show you know show our support and recognition of this. So we uh, we switched our logo to an orange logo, which I have to admit is kind of jarring every time I go onto I the Twitter account to like, oh, whoa, that's bright. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Like we're so used to the blue and red and now you got orange. So Yeah, but it's there. It's the second year that we've done it and uh, we will continue to do it, uh, you know, to pay, um, to pay homage and, and to pay respect uh, to the, uh, uh, to the community that, um, uh, to, yeah, to the entire indigenous community. So, 
um, that's if you're just curious, that's why we've done it. And uh, I think a, a recognition, as I said, will be done. But the CFL will be doing something. Um, and uh, I think a lot of the teams in the CFL will be doing something too. I think BC will be doing something. Uh, so it's uh, th- that's well, actually BC, uh, BC, actually, for their game uh, against Ottawa this this week, they're actually going to change the. Uh, the uh, the decal on their helmets to show like the indigenous like the indigenous representation of the BC Lions logo. Oh, cool, cool. And I think Winnipeg too is doing a similar with their with their W. Yep. So a couple of teams have uh, indigenized. I don't know if that's the term to yeah, use, but indigenized know. their their logos as a, as a chance to. And I think uh, one or two teams. I think it's Winnipeg and Saskatchewan too. Will be their warm ups. They're going to be wearing orange jerseys. Yes. Yes, like they did last year, and the uh, the monies will be going towards the indigenous, uh, I think, charities or, or, or group that is in uh, in Winnipeg. So, mm-hmm. um, uh, Elks Montreal this uh, Saturday. It will be at four p.m. Eastern time. Uh, Alouettes are currently favored by, uh, according to Five Dimes, by three and a half points. Cliff, they are uh, the over under is currently set at fifty four points. Uh, the Elks have not won a home game in more than a thousand days. I don't know the exact count, but I know. They currently are tied for the longest consecutive home losing streak in league history uh, with the Ottawa Rough Riders. And uh, the Alouettes are obviously looking to make sure that that streak continues, whether they become the all time leader or not, uh, you know, uh, this week. Uh, but uh, yeah, uh, Al's S's return and kind of a. Um, this matchup, I, I think, uh, you know, I'm sure is uh, maybe in the Alouettes' minds, considering what happened the last time that these two teams played in Montreal and the collapse that the Alouettes had at the hands of the uh, Elks. It, it's tough to swallow, knowing that the Alouettes were up 19 points versus the Elks in Montreal, and they basically squandered that. Uh, they let Edmonton hang around, and Edmonton walked out of here with a W. So that's got to be weighing on their minds just a little bit. Uh, let's not forget, too, there's a lot of former Elks that are on the Alouettes that yeah. will be making their return to Edmonton, playing at Commonwealth Stadium for the first time since joining the Alouettes. So I can't help but wonder if guys like uh, Nafis Lyon, Thomas Costigan, uh, Walter Fletcher, mm-hmm. our guests tonight, and so many more, like how they'll be feeling about going back to Edmonton after being, I don't see dismissed by Chris Jones necessarily but at the same time you can't help but wonder like yes it's a business and yes you're you're paid to do a job and you you go where the money is but at the same time like you can't help but wonder if these guys are thinking themselves hey this Jones guy didn't think I was good enough to play for his team I'm gonna show him Uh, you just wait and see like you you you, I'm you know I, I, I think redemption is gonna be on a lot of their minds just a little bit they won't say it. They won't come out and say it. They, you know, we want to go in. We want to punch him in the face kind of deal. But, you know, I think there's going to be that little bit of motivation to say, you know what? You traded us for a reason. Or we're going to show you that you made a huge mistake. You should have kept us around. But Montreal's loss or Montreal's gain or Edmonton's loss is going to be Montreal's gain. And I can't help but wonder if these former Elks players are going to be carrying that just a little bit of that thought with them as they take the field on Saturday. It's very possible. I mean, yes, it is true. You know, the Alouettes do not, I really have not had that good of a record in, uh, in their history uh, at Edmonton. Um, they did win their last matchup, uh, the last time they, that they did play uh, against the Elks uh, in, uh, in Commonwealth. Um, but, uh, you know, I, again, you know, they're going to be going up against, uh, you know, uh, Taylor Cornelius, you know, one of the first 
CFL players to sign a, a, a contract which does have uh, some, uh, you know, guaranteed money within it itself. Um, it, it's it will be a very interesting game itself, Cliff. Uh, you know, considering how well that the Alouettes defense has been playing these past couple of weeks, um, I'm sure that the Alouettes are going to want to make a statement and hopefully get you know start that statement right away in the first quarter and uh you know just just be able to, to hammer it down the elk's throats yeah uh i mean we cannot overlook taylor cornelius what he has done over the past couple of weeks he has nope. just been outstanding and, and like such a pleasant surprise too especially after trey ford went down the injury and they traded nick arbuckle to the the ottawa red blacks like okay well they must really see something in this cornelius guy uh let's you know like curious to see what it is and sure enough over the past couple of weeks like he has played some pretty outstanding football i mean and funny not just as a quarterback throwing the ball but he's actually been a pretty good rusher if i'm not mistaken he actually leads the team in rushing right now whoa i i mean that's that's kind of crazy when you think about it <laughs> yeah no kidding wow so so i mean like no doubt this this defense is going to have to find a way to disrupt him big time like because he has really become a focal part of the offense uh also, too, I'm wondering, uh, Kenny Lawler, uh, he's been bothered with an ankle injury, but uh, has been a full participant in practice for the Elks. And he's one of those guys, and he did it against Montreal when he when they played here. He drew so many penalties, like, yeah. like, like defensive penalties against them. Uh, I, I mean, like this guy, you want to contain him. You will obviously want to keep him off the score sheet, but that may be easier said than done. Uh, I mean, like he's he's definitely a threat and someone that I think is – long overdue for a, a huge game and what better way to do it than against this Montreal team that he's burned in the past so I'm, I'm, I'm really hoping Montreal secondary I mean they, they've looked really good they've, they've made some outstanding plays over the past couple of weeks but I, I think they're going to have to play outstanding football especially when Kenny Lawler's out there because they're going to have to find a way to keep him honest keep him off the score sheet if possible but I think those are two guys that uh, the Alouettes really have to pay attention to because that is, as far as I'm concerned, where the offense is going to come from. Oh, yeah, for sure. And obviously over the past couple of weeks, the uh, the Owls have done quite well when it comes to penalties and, and being able to keep them down. Uh, the Alouettes do not need a repeat of what happened when they played the Elks the last time where I think they, they set the third highest number, I think, for a penalty yards in, in team history, um, most of them on one player. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I was over 100 on just one player alone. Um yeah, if they can limit him, you know, give him the catches, that's fine, but keep him out of the end zone. Uh, you know what? Let, let's get the running game going. Let's let, hope we can get another return for a touchdown. It would be nice. It's been a couple of weeks uh, since Chandler Worthy's done that. But uh, uh, this game is big. This game, you know, it, the Owls may be two and a half games up uh, currently on the uh, on the Hamilton Tiger Cats, but getting this win would put them up a full six points on them in the standings, which could go a long way to securing that home playoff spot. Uh, sorry, that playoff spot and that home playoff game. So uh, the Alouettes do not need to look too lightly versus the, no matter when the last time the Elks won at home. Yeah, no, it, and I'm sure that's got to be weighing on everybody's mind out in Edmonton. The fact that the, the Elks have not, uh, they, they haven't won, a home football game as the Elks. That's even more incredible. I know. I know. Yeah, that's crazy. Um, by the way, just to let everybody know that uh, we were the uh, we were the guests 
of the guys over at the Turf District podcast uh, this past week. If you want to hear more about what we thought about the game, you can do so by heading over uh, to their YouTube page. Uh, it's the Turf District podcast. Yeah, it's over on YouTube. I think you, they're also on multiple places, just like we are when it comes to your uh, uh, to your podcast aggregates. Go ahead and listen to Cliffy and I there, or you can watch us, as I said, over on YouTube. Uh, when it, when we join up with uh, the, the crew over at the Turf District, we always have fun. And oh. th- this was another show which was just so much fun. So much fun. I mean, so many laughs, uh, so many so many, <laughs> so many, good moments. Oh, I mean, yeah. we, we got a chance to talk about the game. We, got, you know, we offered up our thoughts, and uh, it was great to get their perspective on things, like how they see Montreal, and they got a chance to see how we see Edmonton. And, yeah, just, uh, just a great time all around. Being able to chat with Andrew, Superfan Mike, and Commissioner Kayla, just absolutely great people. Uh, they do a great show each and every week as well, so you got to give them props for that. Make sure you check out their live stream every, typically every Monday evening. It's every Monday, yeah. Yep. Yeah, but uh, it, it was, uh, you know, we were honored to be able to join them again. Like, we've been on before, and as Tim said, always a good time and no different this time around. So after you're done listening to us here on the Flight Deck, make sure you go check out the Turf District podcast, uh, whether it's on YouTube or anywhere you can find podcasts. Mm-hmm. Give it a listen and it was just good times, just good people having fun talking football. I mean, it really, truly doesn't get much better than that. Exactly. And uh, if you have any comments, questions, concerns, suggestions, whatever it may be, you can make sure you can make sure you do remember you can email us directly. Uh, you can email me at tim.capper at alouettesflightdeck.ca or cliff at clifford.pine at alouettesflightdeck.ca. And do not forget to to uh, to look out for that post over on Twitter where you can win that pair of Sportbuff flight crew seats for the uh, Thanksgiving Day Monday game versus the Ottawa Red Blacks. Uh, it will be including the hashtag flight crew seats. So, hey, what better way to spend Turkey Day with your favorite uh, favorite team watch- and watching them play? So, And God forbid, as we said this week, the Alouettes cannot clinch a playoff spot, but if they get the W out in Edmonton, come back home, take on the Ottawa Red Blacks on Turkey Day, they get the win there. I have to believe that would be enough. I would have Tim, to, to to finally get that X next to their name, saying that yeah, they're going to be in the playoffs. We don't know where. Like first place is still very much a potential. Yes, I mean it is. that uh, the, this home and home series against the Red Blacks, and then later on against the Argos, huge, those are huge, huge. Yeah, that can make all the difference. Like I mean, this there is a very good possibility that the Alouettes could end up in first place. Yep, yep. They're currently and in which case currently four they, points out, uh, two points out. Uh, no, far. Sorry, four points out. Four points out of first place. Yeah, and I mean Toronto, like they've they've played really well. They they paced the Red Blacks last Saturday, so you know they're motivated. They want to stay ahead of the game, so they've got a tough matchup against Calgary this weekend, and they're going to want to keep pace as well. They they know that Montreal's breathing down their neck a little bit, so. You know, this is crunch time, folks. Like, this is the time of year you want to be paying attention to CFL football because now the the playoff race is heating up. I mean, it was starting to heat up after after Labor Day. Things were starting to cook a little bit. But now things are, I won't say at a fever pitch, but we're getting there, folks. I mean, especially once Thanksgiving hits and the potential of the Alouettes to be able to get that actual playoff spot. Yes, sir. And just goes from there. I mean, it's huge, folks. So pay attention. Like, make sure you're watching this game. Like, watch this game against the Elks 
and then be ready for Thanksgiving Day against Ottawa. Exactly. I uh, hope everybody enjoys the game this week. Again, uh, we are looking forward to it. And then obviously coming up for uh, for Thanksgiving Monday and obviously return for the leftover bowl uh, in uh, the Ottawa the following Friday. But uh, we'll take one game at a time. Don't look ahead. Uh, Cliff, enjoy the game, my friend. Have a very good weekend. And for everybody here at the Alouettes Flight Deck, for Cliffy D, I'm Tim Capper. Run final approach. Take Thanks for listening. Find more great shows like this at CF Pod Network on Twitter.